0: amen amen it's so good to be with family right I've met so many of you or a few of you at least before service started and it's isn't it exciting to meet family for the first time and with God as our father we are literal brothers and sisters by blood the blood of Jesus come on that's good news that's good news I want to invite you and in your Bibles to mark 1 14 through 15 Mark 1, 14 through 15. Before we get to our text, though, I'll share a little bit about myself, I'm going to ask a question, and then thirdly, explain some context before we get into the biblical text. All right? So I've been following Jesus most of my life. I'm a Nazarene pastor's kid. Okay, pray for me. All right? At 14 is when I got really serious with Jesus. It's also when I started reading the Bible daily. Those definitely went hand in hand. I just celebrated five years of marriage this past Thursday with my better half, amen, amen. Uh, We have been pregnant three times and have two biological kids, and I think the adults in this room, there's many that have experienced a miscarriage, so you know what I'm talking about, but we have two biological kids, Uh, so grateful for them. Uh, Pastor Emily from this church, I know she's not here, she's at kids camp right now, but I met her and her husband Ben when they were still dating, aww right? You know what I'm saying? They actually visited my church when we were still in a living room back in 2017. And uh, I met Pastor Brad Thompson back in Kansas. I went to Mid-America Nazarene University, don't hold it against me, okay, when he was still a youth pastor. Um, And oh my goodness, I sense God's presence with us this morning. The table of Joliet's best days are ahead of her, not behind. Amen? Amen. Mm. All right, here is the question. It'll be on the screen here. What did Jesus talk about the most? Or what was the primary focus of Jesus' teaching? Think about that. Table church. Anyone else listening to this? If someone were to ask you, what did Jesus talk about the most? Or what was the primary focus of Jesus' teachings? What would you say? Maybe turn to someone next to you right now and just share what you think Jesus talked about the most. What was the primary focus? Turn to someone next to you. based off of the gospels according to Matthew, Mark and Luke specifically there is a right answer I'll give you a hint it starts with the the k and it ends with the kingdom of god it is the kingdom of god ding 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 all right or kingdom of heaven okay pastor Philip Zimmerman starts it like states it like this quote the reason Jesus came into this world was not primarily To save people from their sins, show the world the love of God, or reconcile us with God and each other. These are all good and needed messages, but they are not the one core message that holds it all together. The evangelist Luke tells us that Jesus was sent for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God in many cities. Luke 4.43, but he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus, however, does not stop there. He then instructs his disciples to proclaim the same message, Luke uh, 9-2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And Luke then makes it clear that even after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the message of the kingdom was his main concern. Acts 1.4 says, To these he also presented himself, Jesus, alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Table Church, this week and next week, I'd like to share with y'all about the kingdom of God. Does that sound Okay. Also known as the kingdom of heaven. So let's have this side of the room say kingdom of God. God. And let's have this side of the room say kingdom of heaven. Y'all are talking about the same thing. Okay, you're talking about about the same thing. Okay, I told you a little about myself. I've then uh, talked about the literary, I've asked a question and now it's time for some context. Somebody say context. Some literary context before we get into our text. The beginning of Mark's gospel, 1 verse 1 says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's son. Did you all know that good news or gospel, euangelion, in first century Roman world was announced after a military victory? After a military victory, that's when good news was proclaimed. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus won the victory over evil, sin, and death through the cross, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And so the good news is about Jesus, God's son. Yes, being forgiven of sin is important. Yes, being reconciled. Yes, all that. But the primary thing that we want to talk about this week and next is the kingdom of God. Now, In verses 2 through 6, John the Baptist, also called John the Baptizer, was telling people to repent or change their hearts and lives for the promised Savior King was coming. And John the Baptist was preparing the way just as it was foretold in Isaiah 40, verse 3. In verses 7 through 8 of Mark 1, John the Baptist, or as I like to call him, Johnny B., okay, uh, you can call him that too if you want, Johnny B. announced, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus gets baptized by Johnny B. And when that happened, verse 10, when he, Jesus, was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven that said, You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. Church, and anyone else listening to this? Before Jesus began his public ministry, God made it clear that he already loved his son and found happiness in his son. So when Christians when we say God loves you, we mean God loves you even before you do anything for God. Just the fact that you exist, God finds happiness in you. If you don't believe me, just look at the parents in this room who have lived and dealt with babies. I am one of those people. These little creatures, that's my son as a newborn. They disrupt lives, they disrupt sleep. And they are nothing but needy, vulnerable, and helpless creatures. Babies have very little to offer when you think about it practically, okay? Other than cute cheeks to kiss. And yet, even though they disrupt lives, and even though they disrupt sleep and and cause stress, and and they, they just require so much work, how many of us just have this love that bubbles up over little babies? And if that's how we feel, even though we're broken, even though we're messed up, we need God's grace, we need help, we need to become holy, how much more does God feel about every human being? That's, that's Debbie, that's Phil, that's Katie, that's Sammy, that's Mitch, and I wish I knew all of your names, okay? But he just bubbles up with love even before we do anything. Hallelujah, praise God. So when we tell other people, even before you're a Christian, seriously, God loves you. He actually delights in you. He finds happiness in you. And one of the examples is how we treat babies, how healthy people treat babies. I'll, I'll give that. Okay, verse 12 through 13, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and fasted and was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was victorious over the temptation, and the angels tended to him afterwards. And now we arrive at our two-verse text for this morning. Uh, in my church, we stand whenever we read from the gospel. Would you make me feel more welcome? And would you all stand as well? It's, it doesn't make us holier, okay? It's just something we do out of reverence for Jesus, the living word of God, explicitly revealed in the written gospels. All right, the, the written word of God. Okay. Okay says this from the Common English Bible, Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Our Father, you are so, so good. You are compassionate and merciful, and you are forgiving, and you're slow to anger, and you overflow in faithful, loving kindness, and you are just. You don't let evil have the final word. God, help us to continue to be shaped by you and your ways. Help us change our ways. Help us be informed by your thoughts. May we live as faithful and loyal citizens of your kingdom. Help us live faithfully and joyfully under your rule and reign And may we resist all the other idols and false gods that beckon for our attention, calling for our attention and loyalty. Whether it be our own country, our own families, or selfish desires like greed or bitterness, whatever calls us away from you, help us resist that evil and experience victory in you in that forward relationship that you call us to. Help me not say anything right now you don't want me to say, and help me not hold back anything that you do want me to say. We pray this all in your one name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So what is the kingdom of God? How would you define or describe the kingdom of God? In his book called Kingdom Come by Alan Mutsuo Wakabayashi, he reminds us that Jesus described the kingdom of God like a lot of different things. For example, the kingdom of God is described like a mustard seed, a pearl of great price, A net gathering both good and bad fish. A banquet with poor and broken people that are invited because the rich and upstanding all turn down the invitation. A wedding where the groom arrives right when some foolish bridesmaids have left to buy lamp oil. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, that's kind of all over the place. Defining the kingdom of God isn't easy based off of those descriptions. But if Jesus talked about the kingdom of God the most, I think it's helpful if we can define it. Somebody say Basileia. We're going to just say that that's how you, you know, say that Greek word. Okay, Basileia. Basileia is the Greek word for kingdom. And the Britannica Encyclopedia defines the word as not the geographical area or the people inhabiting the realm, but rather to the activity of the king himself, his exercise of sovereign power. A synonym for kingdom that I find helpful is the word Reign. Not rain like the lyrics from Hillary Duff's hit single, let the rain fall down and wake my dreams. That's not not the weather rain, no. But rain like the lyrics from Ren Collective's hit single, come set your rule and rain. That kind of rain. Not, not weather rain, but the king's rain. Are you with me? This is why Jesus taught us to pray, and we sang it earlier, we prayed it earlier. Let your kingdom come. Amen? Let your will, your reign be done here on earth, here in Joliet, as it is in heaven. Sometimes the kingdom is described, though, as a present reality and as a future reality. So which is it? Is it, is it present? Is it future? It's both. It's both. I was taught the language, um, the already but not yet. The kingdom is an already but not yet reality. The kingdom of God is already here, thanks to Jesus establishing it. But it is not yet here in its fullness. When Jesus returns, however, we trust that God's reign will be brought to its fullness. So I have it on the slide here. The kingdom of God is the reign of God in our world that is already happening, but not yet in its fullness. If you're taking notes, that's a, that's a good definition. I came up with that by the help of the Holy Spirit and reading a bunch of books. Okay. All right. Most of your Bibles probably have the word repent in verse 15. Repentance is changing your ways. It is turning from your own ways and following God's ways. And being a disciple doesn't mean you just learn the teachings of the teacher. You are to become like the teacher in every way. It was so radical in first century Judaism that if a, if a rabbi walked with a limp, you know what the disciples would do? They'd walk with the limp because they wanted to be just like their rabbi. As followers of Jesus, we don't just listen to the teachings and learn the teachings. We follow the teachings, and then we even become just like Jesus. In my church, we say it like this. May we live and love more like Jesus Christ in the way that we live and the way that we love. Now, listen, I have insecurities I operate out of a scarcity mindset sometimes. I am prone to get distracted by sports debate shows um, or YouTube videos about Star Wars or superheroes. But God, God is not insecure. God is never petty. God, he's the source of all things, never going to operate out of a scarcity mindset. Oh, no, how am I going to provide for them? (laughs) But this church over here, okay, I'm going to send this one. God's never nervous. God is a source of all things. God never operates out of a scarcity mindset. In, In God, we find abundance. And, you know, in the kingdoms of this world, the prideful and the ruthless seem to be the ones that succeed and are powerful. But the kingdom of God, it's the least that are called the greatest. And it's the meek and the poor that are blessed. In my church, I had to drop a bombshell and just explain, like, how many of you um, have had a meal in the past two days? You know, OK, how many of you had had more than one meal in the past 24 hours? We are so rich in this country. We are so rich. So I just want to, good news is you're rich. Bad news is you're rich. Because it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Because we can just rely on ourselves thinking, oh, I don't need God. Why do I need God? I got got all that I need. And we don't realize the deeper needs that we have for God. Thanks for asking that question. Awesome question that someone asked Jesus. So glad the kids are with us this Sunday. Okay. Brother Ian Cole wrote something speaking to how Christians live an alternative lifestyle to the lifestyle of the kingdoms in this world. Quote, you know, the Roman Catholic Church is the single largest private health care provider in the United States, operating hundreds of hospitals across the U.S., often waiving fees for their poorest patients. The same could be said of many Methodist, Baptist, and other Protestant-run hospitals across the country. Look around your own city. How many hospitals, schools, food banks, crisis resource centers, homeless shelters, battered women's shelters, 12-step recovery programs, emotional support groups, childcare centers, hospices, colleges, etc., are run explicitly by Christians, Christian churches, and parachurch organizations. At the same time, a few thousand wealthy corporations and individuals in this nation sit on literally trillions of dollars of stockpiled wealth, not using it for the furtherance of anything beyond their shareholders' equity or personal gain. Can the church do more? Of course. Christ always calls us to deepen our love for our neighbor. There is no end to that call. We can and must do more. But friends, don't believe the obviously blatant lie that pro-life Christians only care for fetuses. Of course, you can find someone to confirm your bias if you're always ready to see it, but it is hardly true systematically, end quote. And I needed to read that because I'm one that does... um, serve the Lord through fostering uh, with safe families for children. My wife actually came to the table a couple years ago, I think, or three years ago. And so, like, I just wish that there was more Christians being pro-life outside of being anti-abortion, but I needed to be reminded of this. Yes, of course we're pro-life outside of the womb. I'm so grateful for this reminder. (sighs) All right, listen to what I'm about to say. Uh, Verse 15 Jesus says, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. We are motivated by the love of God that first came to us. And when we allow that love to get deep inside us, deep inside our bones, God's love always overflows into the lives of those around us. But we got to change our hearts and lives. This, this, This love from God demands change. But listen to this, the change that God asks of us is always for our good and for the good of others. The change that God asks of us is always for our good and for the good of those around us. Anyone ever heard the phrase, God doesn't want to make you happy, God wants to make you holy? Have you heard anything like that? Okay, some of us, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree overall But there is some neuro, like brain, scientific research that seems to suggest the holier we are, the happier we'll be. Check this out. In her spectacular book, Switch on Your Brain, okay, write that down, Switch on Your Brain, Dr. Caroline Leaf writes, quote, Research has shown that five to 16 minutes a day of focused, meditative, capturing of thoughts, deep thinking activity increase the chances of a happier outlook on life. God has blessed us with powerful and sound minds. 2 Timothy 2.17. And when we direct our rest by introspection, self-reflection, and prayer, when we catch our thoughts, when we memorize and quote scripture, and when we develop our mind intellectually, we enhance the default mode network that improves brain function and mental, physical, and spiritual health, end quote. The more time we devote to letting God change us through prayer and reading scripture and memorizing, the more our brain gets wired in a way that improves our overall health. Amazing. Science is finally catching up with the Bible, Dr. Caroline Leaf often says. So the change that God asks of us, you might be scared, but it's going to be for your good and for the good of those around you. It's no wonder that Jesus taught us that we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The Common English Bible, it's my new favorite translation of the Bible, it says it like this. Desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. So Table Church, will you seek it? Will you desire God's kingdom first and foremost? We can experience God's kingdom Any time on earth where we are operating in a way, uh, in, in a place where we're living under his reign. And we can help other experience God's kingdom here and now if we will live on earth under the rule of heaven, if you want to describe it that way. So will you change your hearts and lives to live under the rule of heaven? For example, Jesus teaches that if we do not forgive people their sins against us, God won't forgive us of our sins. So, if you are holding on to a grudge or bitterness, that needs to change. Forgiving people that hurt us is not an option for followers of Jesus. Citizens of God's kingdom, forgive. And God will help you do it. Will you change your minds to be revolved around God's kingdom and God's reign? I know the kingdom of God is already happening here in Joliet. God is working in many holistic ways around here. Amen. I know Joliet and Kankakee are two Illinois cities that get a bad rap sometimes. But what some have seen as scary, we, as part of the kingdom, said no. In the kingdom of God, the worst thing is never the last thing. I'm not going to live in fear. And God's reign has been happening already among us, although not yet in its fullness. Just some examples present and future. The kingdom of God looks like people getting sober. The kingdom of God looks like uh, police getting guns off of the streets. And this is like Joliet and Kankakee in common, amen. The kingdom of God looks like parents breaking generational cycles of dysfunction for the sake of their children. The kingdom of God looks like the church running food banks. The kingdom of God looks like former rival gang members serving communion in church together. God has given me that vision. And I'm super excited to see that day because we got Latin kings and gangster disciples and a whole bunch of other gangs in Kankakee. And I'm so excited for the day where they're going to be former gang members standing up in the front, helping serve communion side by side. Amen. (laughs) So the reign of God is already happening among us, but not yet in its fullness. Will you join in? I don't know what you need to change about your life in order to seek God's kingdom, but I believe God will reveal that necessary change if you give him enough time. And if you keep following Jesus, you'll keep needing to change. That's the good news. It's never boring with the Lord. If you will read the written word of God, if you will invite other mature Christians into the conversation with you, God will reveal the necessary changes. If you say that you will seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then in a moment I'm going to ask, that is a sign of your yes to God's kingdom, that you would receive communion with us. So you should have received uh, one of the communion, I, we call them capsules, I don't know if that's sacrilegious, the, the the bread and the cup, the wafer and the juice, what we call Christ's body and blood. If, if you don't have one, just raise your hand and I'm sure we can get someone to get it to you. Okay, I see a couple hands there and up here in the front too. Don't worry, I'm not going to rush, you're going to have enough time. Table church, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. It looked a little different than this. All right. He took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you. Table church Each time we eat of his body and drink of his blood, we proclaim his death until he comes again. Each time we receive communion, we remember what God has done for us. And we remember how we are also called to live. We will not seek first our comfort or happiness. We will seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. We won't desire, first and foremost, our own way. We will follow the way of Jesus. Amen? So please, as you eat this bread and remembering the body of Christ that was broken for us, and drink this juice representing the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Would you do that now if you haven't already? And I'm going to do it too. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for delighting in us even before we do anything. And I pray that that amazing love would get deep inside of us so that we cannot help but say, there's a kingdom you're establishing here on earth. I want to join in because All are welcome to join your kingdom. Thank you for making the way through Jesus, your son, and Holy Spirit, and the church, to help us navigate this world and how to live more like citizens of the kingdom of God, not as citizens of this world. Lord, I pray for the rest of this time together, would you be blessed and glorified, and and if we get to see each other again next week, I pray that we would grow more in our awareness of your kingdom, and a desire to seek it first and your righteousness first. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you agree with me, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, Personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at The Table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.